Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. Yeah, an app I highly recommend is called Home Devices. It's a free app, and the developer has done an incredible job of creating a database of every HomeKit device available in every category. He's got like faucets and thermostats and air purifiers, and it's, a, it's an incredible resource. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. On this episode, we are joined by Stephen Robles. He hosts and produces several podcasts, including the Apple Insider Podcast, Movies on the Side, and the HomeKit Insider Podcast. He edits all of these podcasts on the recently updated iPad Mini. He also has the XCR iPad Pro. And this was just a really super fun chat where we deep dive into what it is like to edit podcasts on the iPad and why it is just such a special environment for this kind of work. We also dive into a bunch of other little topics throughout the show, including our love for some older web development apps like Rapid Weaver and iWeb, and just a lot of fun little side tangents uh, besides the main topic, which is editing a podcast with the iPad. With that said, I just want to remind everyone that you can now financially support iPad Pros in two different places. First off, patreon.com slash iPadPros. Get episodes early and with embedded MP3 chapter markers by supporting the podcast at any tier. Bonus content is also available at the higher tiers. You can also now subscribe to iPad Pros in Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts is an all-inclusive single subscription. So you'll get all of the bonus content plus episodes early by subscribing to the show in Apple Podcasts. By default, subscriptions are monthly, but if you go into your subscription settings in the Settings app, you can switch it to a yearly plan. My thanks to everyone that currently or has in the past supported the podcast financially. This podcast is not a quick one to produce, and your support is greatly, greatly appreciated. You can also support the podcast for free simply by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. No matter your region, it really does help. The reviews help send the right signals to Apple to show this podcast more in search, helping others discover the show. If you have a minute today, I'd really appreciate you opening up the podcast app and leaving a review. My thanks to everyone that has already done that. With that, here's my interview with Steven. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Steven. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So um, you caught my radar through a video you shared about how you edit podcasts on the iPad. And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, can you just kind of introduce yourself and how you kind of broadly use the iPad? Yeah, for sure. So the people might know me from Twitter or the Apple Insider podcast. Uh, I started the Apple Insider podcast back in 2015 and left for a couple of years and came back. Been doing it for two plus years now. And that's been a lot of fun. I also get to do some product reviews, both video and written for Apple Insider. And then I do some of my own stuff on the side as well. And so that's a lot of fun. But the iPad is really my main podcast production machine. Not so much recording, which maybe we'll get to yep. in a minute, <laughs> but the podcast is where I edit all of my podcasts. I edit three shows every week right now, and I've used Logic Pro to edit. I've used GarageBand. I've used Adobe Audition. I've used lots of different applications, but I settled on Ferrite, the app for iPad, because it just allows me to edit so fast and I can sustainably do three weekly shows and release them on schedule and not spend hours and hours editing. And I also have to edit kind of anywhere I go. You know, I have three kids, and so sometimes it means editing in the car while they're at a dance class mm -hmm. or editing in a parking lot, you know, and doing it on the iPad makes that possible. You know, I had a couple people tweet at me after I sent out that video, and they were like, Oh yeah, iPad is cool, but look at my setup. You know, this huge desk and, you know, multiple dials and <laughs> controls. And listen, that's awesome. And honestly, if you were a professional audio producer, like, yeah, sure, you would have that home studio. But for me, the priority is portability and speed and portability almost first. And so that's why the iPad and the Apple Pencil really make it possible for me to do multiple podcasts a week. Excellent. And what's your current iPad or iPads setup? Well, it's funny you should ask. I'm, uh, I kind of have two right now. I was living with the 11-inch iPad Pro from 2018, and I had the iPad Pro, iPad Air before that. But that 2018 iPad Pro, the 11-inch, was so great. I loved it. And actually, with the iPads I have now, I believe it might actually be the perfect size. When the M1 iPad Pro came out, I jumped on that because I did some reviews for Apple Insider mm -hmm. on it. 
but it had the mini LED XDR screen, which I really wanted. And so I jumped to the larger size iPad, 12.9 inch, and was using that from May till October when I got an iPad mini. And again, I got that because I was also reviewing it for Apple Insider. But I found that editing on the larger 12.9 inch iPad, it doesn't sound like a big difference, 11 inch to 12.9 inch iPad Pro. But man, the weight and the size of it actually made it cumbersome to edit podcasts. You know, I kind of do this thing where I hold the iPad in my left hand, Apple Pencil in my right, and, you know, either I'm on a sofa or I'm in my car. And the, the larger iPad, it just became too cumbersome. It was plenty fast. The screen was beautiful. But I found that the iPad mini, even with some display compromises, is actually what I prefer to use to edit podcasts. So I have the 12.9, I have the 12.9 inch iPad Pro and I use that for certain things. But the iPad mini, the new one, is where I really go to edit the podcast in Ferrite. Okay. Yeah, I do some Apple Pencil editing with this larger iPad. And if I'm doing it on the couch, I've got like a pillow on my chest as kind of a little stand that I'll use. It's not quite as handheld as the mini would be, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where I could sit at a desk and prop the iPad up and that'd probably be the most ergonomic thing. But again, my priority is I want to be able to do this everywhere. Like it needs to be able to work in front of my car steering wheel. If I'm sitting in a parking lot and on the sofa and wherever else, sometimes if I'm like, making a breakfast for my kids or whatever. I'm like making oatmeal. I'm waiting for the water to boil. I might Mm -hmm. spend that 10 minutes editing on my iPad mini. So I need to be able to hold it while I'm standing there waiting at the stove. No, that's really cool. I, I, I most of the time do use the trackpad uh, within ferrite for my editing. And then if I need a break from that, I'll, I'll jump on the sofa or I'll do it in the morning. It's the, one of the greatest things, Sunday morning, lazy Sunday morning, and just editing in bed with a pencil. That's just a fun fun experience. Yeah, and again, like just the ease and how, how fast you can get into editing. Like I don't have to go to my desk, turn on my computer, open Logic, you know, wait for the thing. Like you don't have to do any of that. And all that's fast with the new MacBook Pros and all that. And that's been a device that has taken some of my productivity away from my iPad Pro is actually the new MacBook Pro because it's so good. But editing podcast, Apple Pencil, I could do it anywhere and that's where I enjoy it the most. Yeah. Speaking of the XDR screen, have you checked out uh, the tragedy of Macbeth yet? I was watching the first like 30 or 40 minutes and I didn't realize it's four by three and it's a black and white movie, which makes it just phenomenal on this iPad. You know, it's funny. I watch one of the things I use my larger iPad pro for pretty much every day is watching something at night Yeah, because we're, my family's, we're building a new home. So we're in a temporary living situation. So I don't have any kind of TV in the bedroom or anything like that. And it's kind of the one room my wife and I can watch something. And so we watch everything on the 12.9 inch iPad pro M1. And man, that screen sometimes... <laughs> We watched Foundation, which oh, is the Apple yeah. TV Plus original. And the intro to that TV show, even if you skip the intro, it still shows the title screen, which is stark white, just completely white yeah. with the word Foundation on it. And every time we just, we both learned to just close our eyes because it is so bright and so like just in stark contrast. We also watched, um, uh, Will Smith, he has a documentary on Disney Plus with National Geographic uh, about Earth. I forget exactly what it's called. Maybe it's after. It's the best name of documentary from Will Smith. It's like Welcome to Earth as a nod to Independence Day, I think. That's right. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. And in that documentary, they have what you were saying, black and white cutscenes with like Will Smith talking on a white background. Yeah. And I do have to turn the brightness down, but it is incredible how good that looks. Yeah. And I love uh, like the Verge reviews where they're black background with the person in front it just looks so killer yes oh no it really does the screen the screen is incredible editing podcasts and ferrite though you don't i notice the promotion more on the ipad pro as a difference in compared to the mini yeah than like the brightness and colors but i I do like the promotion too for sure yeah i do wish promotion would hit the mini at some point because that's the one thing that i I, yes i don't have the mini yet but uh, someday i do want one um yeah, and it, you really notice it scrolling around, you know, because I do a lot of, I edit while it's playing, uh, which yeah, is I one of the that powers in to your it. video, yeah. which is, we'll have to talk about that in a second here, because that's something I, I don't do a ton of. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the one place where ProMotion would really benefit, because on the iPad Pro, when I do that, my eyes can track the sound waves and the tracks on on screen much easier. The iPad mini, they start blurring as I'm scrolling back and forth. So that's the one thing I wish was a little different on the mini. Yeah. And I guess um, 
So the editing while playing, that's something kind of unique to the Apple Pencil style of editing, I'd, I'd say, probably, because otherwise you're messing around with the playhead quite a bit. Like This would be hard to do in Logic, I'd say, right? Right. And again, when it comes to speed, I have, you know, I record with the same co-hosts in the three podcasts that I do every week. I record with Nate from Movies, I have William and Wes from Apple Insider for the Apple Insider show, and then Andrew O'Hara for HomeKit Insider. And I, I can recognize their waveforms enough where I can I know what an um looks like. Yeah. I know when they've kind of stuttered and I know when I can cut that out. And so I edit while it's playing. And with the Apple Pencil, I can scrub forward a few seconds, cut out uh, an um or cut out a space and do the ripple delete so all the tracks move in line and it's still playing and I never had to pause. And that's what makes it so fast where I don't have to make an edit play check it stop you know i don't have to do any of that it's all almost in real time it still takes a while and there's still some segments where i'll have to actually stop it playing and really be tedious about moving around i i just may edit these things too much i'm not exactly sure but i'm pretty particular <laughs> in my edits but do being able to edit while it's playing it just makes it so much faster and so i love yeah. doing that and in your video you showed the strip silence which is something that is just killer and makes Apple Pencil stuff really simple of just like oh there's a little bit let me just cut that um, have you played around with the Titan feature at all that's something I really enjoy using Titan is incredible because I do a solo show whenever there's an Apple event yeah. uh, we'll do an Apple Insider special episode and it's just me and when I do that 100% I will strip silence and then Titan and it will move all the audio blocks together and I don't have to worry about any spaces and I do love that with multiple people you can't really do that because then it'll be out of uh, time. You know what I mean? You'll you'll lose the unless maybe there's a way to do it that I'm not familiar I with. I mean, but if you so if you tighten, so if you strip silence individually for both tracks, you have all it stripped, and then you tighten both tracks at once. It'll tighten oh. it and bring them. Sometimes I have to move stuff around just so there's more space, but. Um, right. Generally speaking, tighten works well for me for multiple people. If you do it, if you tighten at oh, the same okay. time. Yeah, I will. I will have to check that out. You know, I know I think a lot of people maybe edit, you know, take notes. I saw Jason Snell. He's actually had some great articles recently about how he takes notes during a recording. So he only has to go back and edit specific points. Yeah, and, you know, he can cut out an um and a cough and that would be even faster. And I maybe we'll try to get there one day. But I'm you know, I listen to the entire track and edit the entire track before I publish it. The same. I, I, I don't trust it enough for me to take notes and hope I did it right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I'm going to be moving stuff around anyway. But I'm going to try that Titan with two people. Uh, I didn't. I actually didn't know that was a thing. I thought it was just a per track basis. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just saves me so much time because sometimes there's a lot of just... I'll do a Titan. It's like... There's five minutes that just were <laughs> it's just like, wow. Oh, yeah. Depends yeah. on the guest. You know, sometimes there's a lot of, you know, silences are talking. It works great for ad reads, too, because I, I record the ads separately from the show for Apple Insider. Yeah. And I'll do that, especially, you know, strip silence and tighten. And I don't know if you if you wanted to touch on, like, noise gate versus strip silence. Uh, yeah, so... And there's equalizers and compressors. I generally don't touch those much at all. I generally rely on, I'll do my edits, and then I'll do a voice-only export in mono that's leveled uh, with Fairrights tool. I'll mute the music, and I'll have that as one track, and then the music track as my other track for the final export that isn't leveled is kind of how I do it. But I, I know yeah. you use e equalizers, noise gates, and stuff. Well, it was super interesting when you said you actually auto-leveled individual tracks. I had not thought of that before, but it depends on the show that I do. For my movies podcast that I do with Nate, the auto-leveling works pretty good. Uh, it's not ideal because sometimes we play movie clips in an episode, and plus we have intro and outro music, and sometimes the auto-leveling is just not exactly how I would want it. But for that show... For the auto, for the movie clips, are those in a separate track? They are in a separate track. Yeah, yes. see, so for me, so the way I do it is I export, like if there's two or three people speaking, I'll mute all the extra stuff, the music, the sound effects. I'll mute that, and I'll do an export of just the speakers the voice people right. and that'll be and then 
I'll export that as a leveled track. as So all the voice people are on one track. And then I'll pop that back into the project and mute all the speakers. So then my final export is the leveled voice track. And then whatever sound effects and music stuff is uh, left, I'll do that as a not leveled file to finalize. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I might do that. I might try it. I don't use the auto leveling for the Apple Insider show, just because I do find the auto leveling can sometimes make it a little hot and okay. it, it, it doesn't overdrive it. Like you don't yeah. hear too much, you know, peaking during the track, but the, because the Apple Insider show is one of the larger shows that I do, I really try to get it. So while I'm editing it and when I export it, like it's going to sound exactly how I'm hearing it in the project as the final file. And I don't have to like think about what auto leveling did throughout the right. episode. And equalizer and is one of the tools you'll use to make it sound just perfect. I do equalizer because there's different mics for each of my co-hosts. I had been historically using the Shure SM7 and with that mic, you know, we could talk about that mic for like an hour, but I, I had to take out some lows and put in some highs just because for clarity for my voice. Now I'm using a, a new ethos. Uh, this is the, I, which I'm sorry. Yeah, this is the Earthworks ethos microphone and I really love it and it takes less EQing, but I still do a little bit. Um, so uh, William, uh, one of my co-hosts on the Apple Insider show, then he uses a lapel mic. And that one is very different. And so I try to EQ that so it gets a little closer to the mics that I'm using. Yeah. And for and compressor is really maybe a little bit of makeup gain, but and and I am not an audio expert. I have a degree in music, but not music production. So like I didn't I didn't study a lot of like how to use compressors and equalizers. Yeah, I it's also, all been um, as I Yeah, go. I studied music as well, uh, music composition. Oh wow. Um so yeah. <laughs> that's am- that's amazing. Um but I did not learn anything about, you know, effects and filters when it came to audio. It's all been learning as I go. And for the compressor, the useful part for that is if someone says something loudly or gets a little too loud, a compressor will lessen the volume on just those loud parts. Okay. And for some of my co-hosts, you know, a lot of times people naturally will like be louder when they begin talking about something and kind of trail off at the end of a sentence, you know? And so if you're not doing auto leveling, it becomes difficult then to hear the end. And if you boost volume to hear the end, you might overdrive the loud parts when they started talking, or maybe there was a laugh and the laugh was louder. And so with the compressor, you could say when it goes over this level DB, just on this track, lower the volume 4 dB, 5 dB, and then it it brings those loud parts a little closer. Now, if you're using auto-leveling, you don't really need to do that. But for a couple of my shows where I don't use auto-leveling, the compressor becomes handy for that. No, that's really cool. Uh, One of the audio effects that I discovered was Bruce Free. If I have a really rough guest where they've got some background stuff going on, some fans or something, Bruce Free has been amazing. I don't I've tried using it within Ferrite itself, and you can, but um, there's still some wonkiness with that. So generally, I'll use the Bruce Free app, and with the app, you can like you find like a section of audio where he's not speaking or she's right. not speaking, and it'll analyze what's going on in the background, and then apply that to the whole track. And it's magic of getting rid of some uh, some 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 noise, some fans, and um, street noise even, and it's it's just great. Yeah, and that I had not heard of that particular app before and I might try it I used to use Adobe Audition for that because I found that their noise cancellation was one of the best and you do what you were saying you capture a noise print uh, which is you know you just a section of the background noise where the person's not talking and then they eliminate it but I did not want to use Adobe Creative Cloud just for that one nope. thing like that's yeah. literally, literally the only thing I was using so and it looks like Bruce Free is actually an app you can get on iPhone and iPad. I it is, that. That's and it's pretty especially less expensive there. I think it's ten or twenty bucks versus like a two hundred dollar Mac app. <laughs> yeah, it is fifteen dollars, and uh, I will be getting this today. I did yeah. not. No, it, <laughs> I didn't. It I thought it was a Mac app a while ago. It's like, oh, that is amazing. That's a, yeah, that's incredible. So yeah, and sometimes you need to do that. I thankfully most of my environments in recording and my co-hosts don't have a lot of background noise. But if you're in an unkind environment or just there's a lot of room noise because the person's microphone just has that kind of shh in the background, you definitely need to do something like that. So this looks like a great app. It's very cool. So uh, 
music. What was your kind of focus in with studying that? <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah, <laughs> I played trumpet uh, throughout middle school, high school, and I went for a music degree, trumpet performance in college. And so I studied classical music and jazz. And, you know, I joke with people all the time. I have a bachelor's in music degree. And unfortunately, at the moment, I really do nothing in music. Ironically, I do lots of stuff in audio when it comes to podcasting. But for music, you know, it's just if you're going to be a music performer and you want to make a living doing that, you either have to get a doctorate degree now and try to get a principal spot in an orchestra, which is hyper competitive, Mm -hmm. or you spend your life gigging every night in, you know, bars or whatever, or trying to get church gigs. Private lessons. private lessons, or the third option is to be a music teacher in like public school, private school system. None of those paths are super lucrative and they're all super competitive. And it's like, you know, a lot of hard work. And so I actually did music in the church world for a little bit, but I was just like this. I did not want to do that, you know, full time. And it's one of those things where you don't know as a teenager, like there's no way you can comprehend what is a life of this actually contain you know what does it mean to do a, a music degree and work in a music field and um, you just don't know it's and i you know music education could have been something i did and i think that is such a needed thing i believe kids being involved in music in middle school and high school is extremely important but i've again family with three kids like that was not something i've wanted to do or was really feasible at the moment so have a music degree but uh, I don't do much with it. I could sing, too. I sang yeah. opera. I did musical theater. <laughs> but I just don't do that now. Maybe I'll start a music podcast. Right, yeah. Don't tempt me. I can't start another podcast. There's too many. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just thought you might appreciate um, both Sibelius and Dorico are now on iPad. And Sibelius is even on iPhone. Oh, yeah. Um, which is... It is. That's awesome. It is incredible. You know, the iPad was not out when I was in college, you know, I won't die, I won't date myself too accurately, but they just weren't there. You know, yeah. the iPad wasn't a thing. Not even the iPhone was a thing when I was in college. Okay. Uh, but man, when it comes to music in the iPad, the four score app for digital sheet music, I've used it since the day it came out with the original iPad. It is an incredible application. My wife is actually a professional musician. She plays in an orchestra here in Lakeland, Florida. Okay. She'll use her iPad Pro for digital sheet music with the four-score app where you can annotate with the Apple Pencil. Bluetooth you can pedals. Do, oh, the, the pedals, DC Alcoda. And actually now, four-score has found a way to use AirPods and the accelerometer and AirPods to actually do page turns with head movements. <laughs> and so you don't even need a pedal or a, another thing. You can wow. just do your AirPods. It's incredible. But That's there were other happens. apps like Symphony Pro and a couple other like sheet music composition apps that really even came out early for iPad. And if you're a musician, man, the iPad is is another one of those like this is the device for your field. You know, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah and it came a long way last year with like so we had like Symphony Pro and Notion, but with Dorco and Sibelius, they're like the professional level kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. We're finally getting there, which is cool to see. Um, is Finale there? Is Finale Not yet, there? no. That's the one holdout. I'm not sure how long it'll take them to do it. They've been so Man. stubborn with that stuff. I know, because they, they were, Finale was the music composition app, the you know, the de facto one. That's what I learned on college. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and so, yeah, so, man, they're kind of late to the game. Yeah, Dorco's <laughs> a new app uh, made by the people that, I guess, Sibelius had like a downsizing, and those people that got downsized went off and made Dorico, which is um, okay. a subsidiary of another big company, Steinway, I think. And it's, oh, it's wow. phenomenal. So um, if you ever do music composition type stuff, uh, it's, it's well worth checking out. Oh, yeah. Dorico, D-O-R-I-C-O, it yep. looks like. Yeah. Okay, very cool. Yeah. I just mentioned yeah. it because it hasn't been – Spelius Order hasn't been really – I know you, you write for Apple Insider – has not really been shared much amongst the Apple community because I think a lot of people just aren't in that world, you know. Yeah, I'm looking at it now though. I might, uh, I might mention it, man. That's yeah, because I knew Sibelius was like the other, like yeah, Finale, yeah, Sibelius. Those yep. are like the professional mm-hmm. use music composition apps. So that's amazing. Yeah, it's great yeah. that came to iPad. So um, enough of that tangent, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that um, was fun. I got to I got to use my music degree for uh, ten minutes. All right, the show. there you Thank go. You. Um, so you're not iPad only. Uh, what kind of tools do you find better on the Mac still? And kind of what is that line for you? Well, I do web development. I build websites in Squarespace. And that is still not something 
that you can really do on the iPad. They have an app for iPad. You can use the Squarespace website on iPad, but it is just, it's not the same. It's like you really, yeah, yeah, you cannot really use it for that. So obviously web development, you still need a Mac for that. But obviously when it comes to recording a podcast, what I'm doing with you right now, I have Skype open. I have audio hijack open. I'm recording in multiple places. Just can't do that on iPad. So I still use the Mac for that. We do a video podcast for HomeKit Insider, and I need to capture my video to send it to Andrew so he can see me while we record. Plus, I'm recording on an SD card. But for that, you need, you need a Mac. You yeah, because the Mini camera Pro. on iPad OS, it's like, unless you're in Zoom, it won't let you do anything outside of just that one thing. Yeah, and you know, I see apps coming out now that are built for podcast and recording with remote guests where you can basically do a Skype-like call inside the app and the app is recording to the cloud. But A, it doesn't give me an option to record backups, which again, I'm big on redundancy. I have like three recordings going right now. And so I would not trust it just for that. And I just have not found it to be a a good experience just yet. You know, it's funny. A subscription that you may already have a solution for. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for how much heat we give Skype and how old that app is and not updated, man, it's still one of the best apps to do a call with. And I just find it even with, you know, a bad Internet uh, situation, whether you have slower speeds or whatever. I recorded in the mountains of North Carolina this fall with for one of the Apple Insider shows and I had like five megabits down. But, man, Skype still held up. And, you know, Zoom is pretty good at it, too. But, I just keep coming back to Skype, you know, it's just still works. So that's, that's what I still use the Mac for is the recording is some of the productivity website development and the new MacBook pro is excellent for that. Excellent. Yeah. Very cool. Did you ever use rapid weaver back in the day? Bro, bro. You just, you just, uh, a wave of nostalgia. I, I just came over. Yeah. Me. Yes. I mean, the product still exists. I really wish they, there was a way to make an iPad version of that. Cause I used to make so many just beautiful websites with that tool, and it's just like such a shame oh like that is on iPad. That is how I learned web development because, again, I had a music degree. I did not do anything <laughs> in tech, <laughs> tech stuff until after. Yeah. Co- well, it started in college and then after, but Rapid Weaver was how I built my first websites. I remember my first job interview. I was just learning about Rapid Weaver. I had never published a website yet, and in the interview, the guy asked me, can you make us a website? And I was like, absolutely. And I was like, I've never done this before to actual (laughs) publishing, but I believe I can learn. And so my first three months on that job was building a website on Rapid Weaver and then figuring out how to publish it, like figuring out what it meant to point a domain at a web host. We were using like website source.net as a web hosting back then and actually public how to publish from Rapid Weaver to the internet. And and I did it. And so the yeah. answer was was accurate. I could do it, just not at that very moment. But I right. learned it. And Rapid Weaver was the tool I used. I loved it. Yeah, for those that haven't used it, it's basically iWeb Pro, if you remember <laughs> iWeb back in the day. Which I also used, man. I yeah. used iWeb to build a couple sites. And that .Mac, man, that thing was incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I do miss it because like, all the Squarespace and all those, they're, they're great, but they're just they're kind of not as great as Rapid Weaver was back in the day. And I know it's... Yeah, and yeah. One, of, one of the things that I do in, in web development is I really want to hand the client the keys to their website, so hopefully they never have to reach out to me again, yeah. which is kind of the opposite of website development. Like You're supposed to have people keep coming back to you and paying you to make changes to their website, but I just don't want to roll like that. I just want to make a website and hand it to them. And Squarespace is still, I think, the best user-friendly way to teach someone how to edit their own website and let them run with it. And so that's why I've stuck with that. Absolutely. And if you're using a traditional computer, it's a pretty decent experience. I just, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Rapid Weaver, they, they, they have like CMSs that you can build in that so you can update it remotely as well these days. Like it's, it's kind of oh, yeah. wild how far that products come, but still. They also had, um, what was it, realmacsoftware.com yeah. is the website. They also had an app call so you don't have it anymore i think it was called hyper or something like that where you could build html5 animations and upload those to your server and embed them oh, into your website yeah. and it was right when flash was just starting to die steve jobs wrote that letter about how flash is not going to be around anymore obviously very <laughs> accurate to the future <laughs> and so i would use this software to build like slideshows because that was the big thing everybody wanted this rotating slideshow on their home page 
and the options were Flash, and I had built it in Adobe Flash, and that was a pain in the neck. Yeah. But the other thing you could do was build it in HTML5, and that was an app from Real Mac Software that I used that I really loved it. You could do some cool animation work with that that you could embed. So anyway, yeah. Anyway, memory. Enough so. of the uh, the Mac uh, old <laughs> web development tangent. So I just, good. I, I do miss uh, some of that stuff. Um, yeah. So back to podcast editing. Um, so with the Apple Pencil, you have this ability to double tap on the pencil. And for me, I do the select all the following when I do that. I know you can yeah. like triple click the timeline the, to also do that. Um, have you played around with that setting? Like, um, I know you use it play, for play pause. And um, for me, I just do the two finger tap on the screen for that. I have it set for play pause, but honestly, I don't use the double tap on pencil almost ever. Okay. Just, just because I could not really get it to fire off consistently. And I have found that to do the double tap, I would kind of lift my pencil off the iPad, double tap, put it down. And I found it slower than just either triple clicking with the pencil on the screen or two finger tapping, like you just said, to play pause in ferrite. And so while I have it set to play pause, I honestly just don't use it very much because I just found it to be inconsistent. I, I can tap the screen more consistently. I know I've done it. There's feedback to it. So, you know, if they have a, a next gen Apple pencil that maybe vibrates to let you know that you've actually, you know, done a gesture or done a movement like that would be kind of ideal, mm-hmm. but we'll see that. So I, I don't really use the, the double click too often. Cool that it's there though. Yeah. They were, should really just add the AirPod stem technology and just squeeze the pencil once or something. Yeah. That'd be interesting to, yeah. Like a haptic uh, thing rather than having to manually tap it, you know, so it actually moves. I, that'd be cool. I yeah. Agree. Uh, for templates in ferrite, uh, what kind of settings do you configure within there? Do you have like the music for each episode? And I do. Yeah. And because, you know, I record with the same co-host pretty much every week. I have their tracks set up with their EQ and their compressor settings. So each track has those settings in each template. I have the intro, outro music, and like interstitial sound effects already in the template. And I, you know, whether I have auto leveling on, which I do for the movies on the side, or whether I have it off for like the Apple Insider, all those settings are built into the template. And then when I actually hit the new project from template button right there in Ferrite, it also asks me what episode number this is. And when I do that, it changes what the file name will be on export and what the title is in the project. And so all those things just make it super easy where I can just hit the new project from template and import the audio for the two tracks. And I have everything I need for that episode ready to go. You know, the effects, the EQ, you know, the auto leveling setting. I don't even have to think about, oh, did I turn auto leveling off or did I turn it on? It's all just set. And so I, I really like doing that. Very cool. And uh, for getting the files from the Mac to the iPad, do you just rely on iCloud Drive and uploading these uh, presumably massive files? <laughs> I do. Well, they're not... T- too massive. You know, we're talking about a couple hundred megabytes maybe at the most. And when I do the Apple Insider show, that's the most time sensitive uh, podcast because I have to edit it and and push it out basically the same day or at least schedule it to publish at midnight the next day. And for those, I also have to write the article. And so typically what will happen is I'll stop the recording and my co-host will send me their file. I'll put it in the iCloud Drive folder And then I'm doing the show notes and the article. I'm doing the sponsor paragraphs and all that. And by the time I'm done with that, I can pick up my iPad, I can hit import, and all the files are are there. And I have a pretty good internet connection here, and so they're they're just there. The downloading has been a little slower. Like when I'm in Ferrite and I import the audio and it downloads and imports, it'll take like two or three minutes sometimes. I'm not sure why it takes that long to download it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not too bad. Again, I have other things I have to do for the podcast anyway, and so I'll just wait. I'll airdrop it sometimes, but more often I'll just depend on the iCloud Drive. Okay. And then when you do record from an iPad, the odd occasion where when you need to do that, what's your setup to do that? Yeah, so the same audio device that I use every week is what I took on a trip with me, which is the Sound Devices Mix Pre 3. I use that audio device, one, because the preamps are incredible and was able to drive the Shure SM7B without any kind of cloud lifter or additional thing. There's plenty of headroom. There's no noise. So I love it just for the preamps as an audio device. It records to the SD card. I can get three channels in, plus it has like a stereo eighth in, uh, yeah, eighth inch line in, the headphone out, connects to USB 
or Thunderbolt. So uh, this is a device. I, I really love it. And I also you know, do video sometimes, and so it's a great field recorder for video as well. But I use that. I connected it to my iPad, and I recorded to the SD card on the sound devices, and I had to FaceTime or Skype with Wes, my co-host, on my iPhone because I wasn't able to both make a Skype call on my iPad and record to it, and I wanted a backup. So I recorded right. to the the sound devices, Mixpre 3 SD card, and I recorded to my iPad in Ferrite. So I at least had redundancy for my end, and I just really had to hope that Wes's recording was good to go. Oh, and actually, yeah, I had to do that because ideally, if I could have done it with the iPad, both recorded on the iPad and done the call, and it supported multiple channels in and out, like what I do right now, your audio is coming through my Mixpre pre three through the USB connection on my Mac and I'm listening to you through it and I'm recording your channel also to that same SD card. Yeah. And so I could record both your and my channel or at that point Wes's channel if I was also able to use it as the device for the Skype call. Right. And so that's why I'm just I harp on it periodically because I really hope Apple enables that on iPad and would make portable recording so much easier. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so Ferrite has this awesome thing with chapter markers. This is something they added uh, back when MP3 finally, I think, uh, became not something that was uh, legally uh, hard to deal with. <laughs> right, right. And uh, then we got chapter markers, and they're fantastic. You can add unique artwork and links to each chapter. And something sad uh, that I've noticed a trend in is so the company I've been hosting my files with, ACAT or PIPA, that is now ACAST, uh, now strips out all those chapter markers and their re encoding oh, process. And I know Apple Podcasts for the premium thing, uh, it's WAV files, so you can't get chapters yeah. there. Uh, is this trend worrying to you that uh, these kind of awesome things are just not going to be supported um, forever? You know, I see. While I see some of that, and I really hope and believe that Apple Podcasts will support MP3s for their subscription side, but I, there's other podcast hosts like Buzzsprout that I just moved my Movies on the Side podcast to that are really supporting chapter markers even more than just the typical like support it in the MP3 file. Buzzsprout actually will pull the chapter markers and put them on the web page for that episode where you can send someone a link to your episode webpage and they can see the show notes. They click a second tab. They can see a transcript if you uploaded that and they can actually see the chapters right there on the website, click it and jump to that part in the audio. And so while I see some not supporting it just yet, I I think they'll be here to stay. I am more than someone like Acast or Apple Podcast not supporting MP3s, you know, making chapter markers a, an issue. I am more concerned about dynamic ad insertion, which has been in the news recently. Yeah. The Verge covered it, how dynamic ad insertion has just been wreaking havoc, especially the auto ad insertion where there was like inappropriate ads on a kid's podcast that just came through. And I think that is more of a threat to chapters, but I think there will at least for a while still be this like dual world where you have the big podcast publications from major organizations like, you know, Gimlet media or whatever, and they might move to the dynamic ad insertion and you're not going to see chapter markers from them because they're doing that kind of technology. And there's going to be the indie side with Relay FM and 5x5 and Apple Insider and our shows. And when we're using the hosting providers like Buzzsprout and not the same guys as the as the big companies using, yeah. as long as we keep making stuff, I think those kind of podcast hosts will continue to push support for things like that. Podcast Index is like another uh, It's open platform for uh, indexing podcasts, which was a huge deal because Apple was kind of the only source for a podcast index for a long time. And so I think there are enough of us out there that at least chapter markers and traditional RSS-style baked-in ad podcasting is going to be around for a while. Yeah, the dynamic stuff, it just it feels like you're turning podcasts from this like special thing into just another website type thing. Well, and again, it's all, you know, ad revenue generated. 
And, you know, it is a very powerful feature to tell a sponsor or a company that wants to buy an ad on your show and say, listen, our back catalog of 200 shows, we can put your ad spot in all of those shows at once. And that's attractive uh, from an advertiser. It's the opposite of of my sell of once it's in here, uh, people go back and listen to all those episodes um, years from now. Exactly. It's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. But some of the issue there too is if a company doesn't support your link anymore or whatever promo code you used right. in that old episode, then it's no longer valid. And so it would have to be a very long term relationship for a sponsor to say, like, yeah, that's a benefit to me. Right. Rather than saying, I can record a new ad for you today and it will appear on all my shows. Now, True. I'll say again, Buzzsprout, which he has just switched to, they have dynam- dynamic ad insertion or just dynamic content insertion, but just for pre or post episode. So you can still retain your MP3 file and the chapter markers, but if you want to put in an audio clip just before the show starts or just after, oh, you can yep. do that without messing with the show in, you know, the actual show that Makes you published. Sense. Yeah. And so, I think that like I would maybe try that, but yeah, I'm um that's what what worries me is the is the big guys doing all this weird ad stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um anything about ferret we haven't touched on yet? Oh man. You know, there's a lot of other features in there. Uh, Canis, who actually makes Ferrite, he's the developer. <laughs> the developer, his company is called Wooji Juice. I actually got to interview him on the Apple Insider Show about a year ago. He's a great guy. You know, he's a one-man shop. You know, yeah. there's not a team making Ferrite. It's one guy, and which is extremely impressive. But he had some tweets about just how Ferrite functions when you use auto-leveling and ducking and what you should do for ducking. And so I would recommend, like, if you're really going to use Ferrite, you know, he's got a great website with tutorials. He's got long manuals explaining all the features. And so refer to that. You know, he was telling me things about ducking that I just wasn't aware of and how it doesn't really do anything unless you have a duck king. And if you do auto leveling, you know, and just uh, there's a lot of details and intricate parts of it. So I would say, yeah, just refer to his stuff. And with the chapter markers, I do love how good Ferrite does chapter markers it's super easy to insert them in the track while i'm editing you can do a specific image for each chapter marker you know if you edit in some applications they don't offer all those features in one like i think if you do it in logic pro you'd have to like round trip your auto audio file through another application to add chapter markers oh, yeah. and art art for the specific chapters and for you can just do it all right there in the app which is again for speed portability super powerful and you can add even a link to a chapter where if someone's looking in their podcast player, not all podcast players support this, which I'm going to do a video soon on the best podcast players for iPhone because I got some thoughts about that. (laughs) Yeah. But you can even have a specific link, whereas a chapter comes up like an ad, a sponsor, or just a a topic that you want to link out to a specific article. You can even make the chapter link to it in the podcast player. And it's just so powerful that you could do all of that right in ferrite and so i just can't say enough good things about it yeah it's a super cool app amazing yeah so um what's your process for doing the show research and prepping uh the show on the ipad yeah so when i started back doing the apple insider show a couple years ago i needed to be able to skim the news quickly pull the articles that were relevant and get them into a format that i can share it with my co-hosts and then use it to export easily to the actual show notes for the podcast. And so I got back into RSS reading for news. And it is such a better experience than even using Twitter, trying to quickly find the top stories. I mean, obviously, I'm on Twitter all the time. And I use that to kind of see what people are talking about. But to use the RSS, I have multiple Apple websites, I have like Daring Fireball and The Verge has an RSS feed just for their Apple articles. And so I pulled those specific RSS feeds into an app called Reader, R-E-E-D-E-R. I have that app on all my devices and the feeds sync flawlessly. So whether I'm on my iPhone, my iPad, or my Mac, I can open Reader, scroll the latest articles. And when I come across an article that I know I want to talk about, I'll hit the share button. And this is where shortcuts are so key to helping my whole process. I will hit the share button and I have a shortcut that will clean up the link. So take away any references or, you know, question mark, whatever. I get the raw link, copies it to my clipboard, and then shows me a list of my most recent notes uh, for in a folder in the Apple Notes app. And so I can click the next podcast note. I see the date right there because I title it with the date. So I'll tap the note. It throws me over to the notes application and I can paste the raw link 
right there. Maybe I'll make a note about it. Now, the reason I do that instead of just hitting the share button and hitting notes is it'll do one of those rich links when you share a link to the notes app directly from the share button. And those rich links are not easy to deal with when I then want to export all those links into my show notes. And so I just want the raw HTML link right there in the notes, HTTP colon, all that kind of stuff. No rich links. I don't want any you know, image previews or yeah. article previews or anything like that. And so the shortcut I use, I get the raw link into notes. I'll maybe make a bullet point about what I want to say, and I'll put those together throughout the week. You know, I have an ongoing note. I skim the news like once a day, twice a day, get the articles I want to talk about. Then the night before I record the Apple Insider Show, I'll go back in, maybe read some of those articles in depth, make bullet points of the details I really want to pull from each article, maybe write some of my thoughts in that note. And then I have my Apple Notes that I share with my co-hosts right there. And that's what we would use when we record the show. And then when I'm ready to do the podcast episode notes, I have another shortcut where I highlight all the text in my Apple note. It strips out anything that's not a URL, anything that's not a link, and it gets all those links. It gets the article title, and then it makes an HTML block, basically a list block, you know, U-L-L-I, all that kind of stuff. And it makes a, a, a link list with the title as what you actually see and then the URL in the HTML. And I use that for both the podcast host and for the article on Apple Insider. And then I also have a bunch of pre-made text, depending on who my co-host is, depending on the show, that the shortcut that I use on my iPad or my Mac will automatically paste all that together. And then I go to my final note, I hit paste, and then everything from you know follow us on Twitter and check out our other Apple Insider podcast to all the links to all the articles we talked about are in my bare note and that's where I finally write everything and then go from there to my podcast host. So that's that's the whole process right there. That's pretty cool. As you're speaking, something I'm not sure if this would even be possible of uh, like a shortcut detecting if a URL is for the App Store and like separating that into like the apps list and like doing that. I'm not sure how often oh, you yeah. discuss apps. You can absolutely do that and. You know, we had a couple shows in the fall where we really highlighted a bunch of apps for iPhone, iPad, Mac. And I could have done that. I, I know how to do that in shortcuts, but I created just additional shortcut for the apps because I also wanted to pull in the artwork for each app. Mm, and yeah. so I built a shortcut that, you know, I can either search the title of an app and then choose it from a list that comes down in the shortcut. Or if I knew the exact URL, it would just pull it from there and it would actually download the artwork for every app right to my camera roll. And then I can use that either in the chapter artwork or when I made the header image for the Apple Insider article, I was able to use those app icons in there. And so a lot of cool things, especially when you start incorporating the Apple Store, the App Store or the iTunes Movie Store, which just another really cool shortcut I use. This is one that, you know, it's like your party trick is what I show my friends is. For my Movies on the Side podcast, every week I post what movie we're reviewing. I post it on Friday. And so I have a shortcut where when I run the shortcut, it brings me up, brings up a search box and I'll type the title of the movie in Kanto we did recently. And then it'll show me in the iTunes movie store is what they still call it in shortcuts, you know, the movies that match that title. And when I tap that movie, it'll get the movie poster artwork from the iTunes store and then overlay that on a social media frame that I have made for movies on the side and then gives me a square image, saves it to my camera roll where I have the movie poster and our branded frame for movies on the side with our URL all baked into the image. The whole process takes like five seconds and then I can just share that to social media. And it's just so cool. The power of being able to pull data from the iTunes movie music and app stores with using your own graphic and putting it together. And that's kind of the power of shortcuts makes it so quick and easy to do stuff like that. That's super cool. Any other uses of shortcuts for you on the iPad? Oh my goodness. I mean, I have, I'm not Matthew Casanelli, which I've talked to multiple times. (laughs) You know, he was, he's got hundreds and hundreds of shortcuts, but I do have a shortcut for my chapter art in my Apple Insider show, sometimes the image that I have for the chapter art is not square, and I and you want it to be a square for your podcast mm-hmm. player. Fair, Fairite wants a square image, and so if the image I have is not square, but I don't want to crop it because it has all the 
you know, whatever I want in the image is there. I have a shortcut that I can choose an image from my camera roll. It makes it a thousand pixels wide. I tell it, is this a tall image or a wide image? And it will make it a thousand pixels either wide or tall, depending on whether I said it was a tall or wide image, you know. And then I actually have it pull a white or black square, just a JPEG that I have saved in my iCloud drive. And it will overlay the image I want to use for the chapter onto that square. And then I immediately have a square image with the chapter art that I wanted, not cropped, scaled all properly. And I can use that. It's a perfect square right in my chapter art. So I have a shortcut where once I save all the images to my camera roll that I want to use for the show chapters, I'll run that shortcut. Anything that's not a perfect square already, I can make a square using that shortcut. And then I have all my chapter images ready to go. And I put those in. That's one of the last things I do when I record the show. And that's that's a pretty cool one. That's super cool. I, I do wish Ferrite had the ability of just like, let me zoom out and just make it transparent background or something. Yeah, yeah. And that would be cool, but it works for that. I've created multiple shortcuts depending on whether I'm doing it on my Mac or on my iPad. I still find that shortcuts on the iPad run better and have less errors and just do what I expect it to do. So I still run most shortcuts on my iPad. And that's why, again, once I'm done recording a podcast, almost everything happens on the iPad just because it's, it's so good. But I have other shortcuts like uh, Amazon affiliate links for Apple Insider where it'll make HTML links that. It's already built into like my master link list shortcut, but I do that. Oh, and then one of the ones I use every week is to share the Apple Insider podcast and my other podcasts. When I run this shortcut, it'll check Apple Podcasts for the latest episode of a show. You don't have to choose it. You don't even have to interact with it. It just gets the latest episode of the show and gets the URL for that show. It will open Overcast in a web view and I can copy and paste the URL from that episode in Overcast. I hit copy, I hit done, and then it takes all of those links and throws me over to Twitter. It put it all on the clipboard and when I hit paste, it will take the Apple the Apple podcast direct link to the episode, the Overcast link that I copied, and I go back and forth between like Spotify and Pocket Cast, depending on what I want to actually link to that week. But all the links are there directly to that specific episode. And then I'll just add my caption on top and I'll share it. And so that's just a really quick way to get the specific links for a specific episode. And I run that one every Friday when I share the show on Twitter. That's amazing. That's a really cool, uh, you know, time-saving thing that, yeah, as you said, you do every week. Because, yeah, and that's the hard thing with sharing a podcast. It's like, where are you going to tell someone to go to? You know, if you say, just search for this show. I mean, people have already stopped listening. You know, if you say, you just search for X, Y, or Z, it's just, it's not as easy. I want to give people the least obstacles to listening to my podcast. And so I want to share the links to the most listened to apps. And when it comes Mm -hmm. to the Apple Insider Show, at least, 70% of our audience listens in the Apple Podcast app directly. And so I'm going to get the direct link to that episode, whatever it takes. I want to share that. Overcast is a big portion. I want to share that specific link. And according to a lot of the industry data, Spotify is becoming one of the most used apps for podcast listening. So, so weird. It is weird. But again, <laughs> it's because of all those exclusive shows that they are buying up and basically not forcing people, but really coercing them. If they want to listen to Dak Shepard's Armchair Expert or other podcasts that have become exclusive, you have to go to Spotify. Yeah. And so they're just moving it there. And we have listeners that do it in Spotify. So as whatever I can make the, the least effort for people to listen to the show, I'll do that. And so that's why I share links to you know multiple services every week. Yeah. It's funny with Spotify on the exclusive shows with their ad insertions. They basically have kind of a chapter interface for chat for podcast for ads that you could very quickly zoom right through them because it, it the timeline it's showing is just for the ads in spotify which i find interesting you know and spotify i do have to give them credit they do have one feature they announced recently where for ad reads or during an ad when you're listening in the app they'll put up a little banner that you can tap on and go directly to that sponsors special yep, url yep, that's pretty and cool. i was like man that is a again one of those features that you can only do if you control the whole stack and you know apple could do this but i 
I am not super confident on Apple's ability of adding features like that when we still can't upload MP3s for our subscriber, <laughs> you know, only Yeah, I mean, show. we can already do this with um, chapter markers and links. Um, do, well. do links work in the Apple Podcasts app, though? The chapter um, links? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so, because I the reason why I actually stopped putting links on specific chapters because I spent a couple episodes doing like tracked links. I did like bitly links to see how many people actually click the links Not on often. the episodes and found it to be a surprisingly low number of like, yeah. single digits of people actually clicking the links on the chapter art. And so I was like, okay, well th- this is time I can redeem and spend it doing something else. And so I, I stopped doing the links on the chapters. Yeah. And I think be- that's because it only does it in certain third party apps like overcast does it pocket cast will do it but i don't think the major players do it and i'm not i don't think uh, spotify does it either. yeah yeah makes sense i'm checking right now and they do not okay uh, the apple podcast app does not let you click on a chapter of course and they do don't it, which yeah yeah so again those are things that hopefully you know well this is why i'm gonna make a video of why you shouldn't use the stock apps but <laughs> we'll talk about that another time yeah hopefully they add that stuff in the future um yeah for writing work you do some writing work uh is any of that done on the iPad or is that a Mac ta- task for you? When it comes to writing, I still gravitate to the iPad because it helps me focus, you know, on the Mac, you know, you can do full screen mode and you can quit apps and you can do all that. But something about the iPad experience, especially with the magic keyboard helps me focus on what I'm writing and that I will still go to it when I'm writing long form stuff. If I'm ever doing a product review for Apple insider, I'm doing it on my iPad. I use bear for all my writing and my note taking, but I'll, I'll always go to that. And for research, you know, it, I'm not sure which is faster, you know, using Safari on a Mac and getting links into a, a note. So I'll just say when it comes to writing, I'm not sure if it's faster on the Mac or the iPad to like get links and do research, but I just prefer doing it on the iPad because of the focus it allows me. And, uh, it's, I don't know. I enjoy it more doing that kind of long form work on an iPad. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, uh, for image editing, you do some of that on the iPad as well with, uh, I believe, the Adobe Lightroom? Well, yeah. So for like the header images and graphics, I will use Pixelmator. In a pinch, I'll do Pixelmator on the iPad, but I find it to be a little more cumbersome. I'll go back to the Mac to do like the header image for the Apple Insider articles mm-hmm. and Pixelmator there just because little things like selecting a portion with the magic wand or whatever is just faster on the Mac. Okay. You don't have to do multiple steps. But when it comes to photo editing, I don't use the Adobe suite for almost anything. I do not install the creative cloud on my Mac. It's just such a big clunky application and I don't run anything on my Mac anyways. But when it comes to editing images, like for product images, if I'm, when I review the Apple watch series seven or the iPad mini, I take lots of photos and to edit those, I do enjoy using Lightroom for that. And I'll use Lightroom, not on my Mac, but on my iPad. And it sometimes can be a little bit of a round trip, like getting the photos onto my iPad, exporting those to iCloud Drive, and then using those in the Mac. But I enjoy the experience more. I don't want to install the Adobe apps on my Mac. And so when it comes to Lightroom and image editing, I'll use it on my iPad. And I love it there. That's, again, the big screen on the 12.9 inch is incredible for that. And it just looks beautiful, the XDR screen. So I do enjoy using Lightroom on that. Cool. Yeah, I use Pixelmator on the iPad just for like the YouTube thumbnail because all, I do, all yeah. I'm doing is editing text basically on that uh, template I have. So that's pretty yeah. simple to do. And then um, as someone that uses a Mac, are you looking forward to universal control and being able to use your Mac uh, keyboard and trackpad on your iPad as you're working across both devices? You know, it's such a cool feature. And I'm excited to try it. But I personally rarely am working on both devices simultaneously. Yeah. You know, when I go to edit a podcast, I'm on the iPad and I'm not looking at my Mac. My Mac's off. Right. Uh, you know, it's sleeping. And then when I'm working on my Mac, either it's recording a show or if I'm doing some article work, I'm not really looking at my iPad. Like, I don't need it. Mm-hmm. So. I probably am not going to be using it that much because okay. I, I don't use multiple devices simultaneously. Maybe when it actually comes out, it'll totally rock my world and I will find use for it. The, uh, uh, but I'm excited the for it to exist. stuff, maybe with images and even audio where you can just drag files across would be interesting. Oh, that's... 
That's a good point. You know, if I could drag a file from my Mac in Finder right to Ferrite in my iPad and it just imports it directly and I don't have to worry about airdropping and choosing an app after that, yeah. that might be a killer feature. So They've been I, yeah, talking I about definitely try that. that ability, so I'm not sure how that's going to be implemented. <laughs> I don't know, but if it works as well as it looks like in the, the WWDC keynote, yeah, I'll yeah. for sure try it. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, any final thoughts regarding iPad before we wrap up? Oh, you know, I'm excited and hopeful to see what Apple does for iPad OS in the coming years. I think it will be telling how far the platform will go with the features Apple adds soon. You know, it is at such an inflection point, I believe. Last year with the M1 iPad Pro, it's like we have such a powerful device, so much RAM. You can get two terabytes of storage. Like, this is a really pro device. Obviously, so many people love using it. Fernando Silva does his videos on there. Uh, Christopher Lawley, I believe, you know, a bunch Mm -hmm. of podcast stuff. You have an entire show talking about iPad Pros. And so I really hope Apple not puts macOS on iPad. You know, I always want to put that caveat. I don't believe that that is the answer. I think the answer is adding some of that utility and functionality that you have on the Mac, like being able to use a USB audio devices across multiple apps that would add no more visual complexity, but make it more useful for people trying to do pro use cases like recording a podcast. So I hope they add that. I also hope they adjust the multitasking again. <laughs> like, you know, when they when they announced multitasking updates last WWDC, I was like, so it's the same with three dots at the top of every app. To it's make more it discoverable easier. and it's actually usable in tablet mode, which it wasn't before. Which um, I, t- I totally get, but... I hope they add a fourth little option and that's like, create this into a floating window button i yeah i think that would be good you know quick note is an interesting application i don't use it personally but you have a small contextual window that can overlay on top of all the other apps you can write in it and you can make it go away it would be pretty amazing if apple opens up an api that would allow apps to do not only side by side and slide over but whatever they call that like window overlay yeah where you could do that with say skype so I could be in Ferrite recording and have Skype open in that little quick note style window and I can make the call right there. And maybe you have like more than one app be able to do that at a time. Maybe like Especially a bottom left corner. if you're hooked up to an yeah. external display. And that's another thing, like <laughs> external display. So like Federico Vitici has been using an external display with his iPad for what, like a decade? I don't even know. Yeah. And, you know, he it's just mirrors the iPad screen unless you're doing like a keynote presentation. Specific apps do utilize it better, but have a built-in secondary display uh, support where you can maybe – drag an app over or you could slide over you know whatever at least support 16 by 9 you know at least at least let the (laughs) ipad screen reformat to make the external monitor make sense but some of those things would be good and you know hardware wise i will say the ipad is is incredible you know the the hardware on the ipad mini the m1 ipad pro the hardware is incredible i'm not going to ask for more ports you know i don't think the ipad is a device for that i have docks and adapters for that kind of stuff but i am curious i'm interested to see what they do with the hardware going forward i mean the 2018 change to the face id flat edges was such a a big upgrade to the ipad and that's what we still have today four years later and i have no complaints about it (laughs) i don't know how to make it better but i'm excited to see what apple does with it in the future yeah i was just envisioning uh super wide wide monitor support where you have like 12 apps open side by side in this crazy like super wide monitor if that could be a thing that'd be awesome yeah well that's a, william gallagher on the apple insider you know he's got like a a 38 inch ultra wide monitor you <laughs> yeah. know and you got to walk from one side to the other so i'd I'd be curious uh you know how it supports that but yeah but i i love i love the ipad even if all i ever did was edit the podcast on it like i do today i would be happy it's there happy the apple pencil exists i'd i'd I'm interested to see what a next generation Apple Pencil does. Maybe that haptic feedback, maybe some other features. Um, you know, I have found a weird thing is sometimes the tip on my Apple Pencil will unscrew just a little bit 
and I'll have this crazy moment where it's not pay, like it's not working yeah. and I'll stick it on top to charge it for a second. I'll try to tap the screen and nothing's working. And I realize it just unscrewed just a little bit. And mm-hmm. I understand you want it replaceable and, and repairable, but you know, little things like that. I would love for Apple to, you know, elevate it even more. It's excellent right now, but I'm excited to see what they do with it in the future. Very cool. Uh, well, where can people listen to the podcast you edit on iPad? Yeah, so if you follow me on Twitter, at Stephen Robles, I tweet all the podcasts I do there. I do the Apple Insider Show and HomeKit Insider. Those are weekly podcasts. And I'm actually doing more podcast content on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beardedteacher. It's my, my username <laughs> there. And I've been doing some podcasts. That's where I have the video of me editing on the iPad is on YouTube. And going to be doing some more podcast content there as well. So, yeah, you can follow me there. Cool. Um Lastly, um, HomeKit, is there anything um, upcoming oh, or new or wild or just any, anything cool well, that is worth mentioning? I mean, you understand I have a whole podcast on HomeKit <laughs> stuff. And <laughs> to throw it here at the end, I, uh, I'm very excited for HomeKit stuff because, like I mentioned, I'm building a new home right now. And I'm like a week away from the time where I will be running Ethernet cable and speaker wire everywhere to make it really smart home ready. And I'll be, you know, decking it out from smart shades to ceiling fans to light switches. So I'm, I'm excited for all that man thread. If listeners don't know, thread is a technology being built into HomeKit devices. The HomePod mini has thread. The newest Apple TV has thread. It's a function that really makes smart home devices extra smart. Like it really elevates the speed at which they respond, their reliability and dependability and that also plays into the HomeKit standard called Matter that's supposed to be launching this year. And what Matter will do is make devices that previously were not interoperable, like an Eve light switch. If you wanted to use it with your Amazon Alexa speaker, that was not possible. But Matter, devices that support it, it will actually begin to make those devices cross-platform. Now, that could be good or bad, depending on how you feel about Amazon and Google. I mean, I don't use am- use an S thermostat as part of HomeKit. <clears throat> Well, and that's the thing. If you if we can bring some of like the Nest thermostat or other like or even Amazon, the Nest um, Fire uh, smoke detector, that's like the only smart smoke detector on the market. Is that right? There's a couple other uh, smoke detectors by one something I forget. We've covered them on HomeKit Insider. There's a couple for a uh, HomeKit. But there are okay. uh, an app. Yeah, an app I highly recommend is called Home Devices. It's a free app. And the developer has done an incredible job of creating a database of every HomeKit device available in every category. He's got like faucets and thermostats and air purifiers. And it's it's an incredible resource. But I'm excited for Thread. I'm excited for Matter. There's been some great new cameras coming out like the Wemo doorbell camera, which Mm -hmm. supports HomeKit Secure Video. HomeKit Secure Video, again, is the ability to use your iCloud account for camera recordings so you don't have to pay a third party for cloud storage of security camera footage i use homekit secure video on my logitech circle view cameras i'm excited for all of that coming this year i am just hoping it comes out in time for me to buy some of that new thread enabled stuff for my home and not some of the older generation stuff so but i'm going to be putting videos on my youtube channel of running ethernet cable in my house to putting some smart devices in there, to running some home theater speakers, because I'll be doing that. So if you want to follow that whole saga, you can follow me on Twitter. I'll post the links there as well. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, Stephen. Really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, as my interview with Stephen, make sure to check out his podcast that he edits on the iPad Mini, the Apple Insider Podcast, Movies on the Side, and the HomeKit Insider Podcast. My thanks again to Stephen for his time recording this episode, and my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. As a reminder, you can support this podcast over at patreon.com slash iPadPros or by subscribing to the podcast in Apple Podcasts. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.